Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to another episode of That's What People Do. You are joined by me, Ryan McGowan, and as always, James Kay. How are you, James? I'm very well, thank you, Ryan. It's that time of the year again when we start complaining about the heat. Yes, yeah, we have uh, had a heat wave uh, just come over the UK in the last sort of week and a half, two weeks, um, and it's been horrible. Yeah, I've bought an air conditioning unit that I've been bragging about to everyone, so I'm going to brag about it on here as well. And it has been the best thing. Everyone's like, "It's so bad for the environment." I couldn't give a shit. Couldn't give a shit. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I'm cool while I sleep. How else are we expected to deal with the globe warming up if not to buy an aircon unit and make it exactly, warm? <laughs> exactly? Like, I, I like the planet. I'd like to sustain it, but unfortunately, if you can't beat them, join them. Hmm. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. soon, no one's going to be going to Ibiza, they're going to be going to the Isle of Sheppey or something off the coast of Kent for their holidays this, in summer. And this is the thing as well, like England's not built for heat. We have the same fucking conversation, it's our, coming up to our fourth year, yeah. we have the same conversation every year, we're not built for it, you know the drill. <laughs> Fine. I will say it again, Let's it's one of my favourite things. Our homes are built for insulating heat because we are traditionally a very cold country. Our homes are built to insulate the heat, so when it gets hot, it stays hot. Yeah, it's 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 hideous. Anyway, it may, stop it, moaning about the heat. Sorry, I have a little side note to even before we even start. Um, I I don't know why I thought about this when I was making breakfast earlier this, today. Um, I was in my head. I was what I, I was watching a program about. Um, I don't know if you've ever seen the YouTube channel Kings and Generals. No. Um, but they talk about the like, old wars and the tactics that you know how that were were deployed and all this kind of stuff. And whilst I was listening to it, I was thinking of the traditional peasant and what they look like you know and they're covered in just like you know uh, just over baggy like clothes and 
things that don't quite wear and it's always brown and they've got patches sewn in because you know they've been worn yeah, yeah. for too long and, I, and then i don't know why but i thought what did spanish peasants back then look like like you know when it's like really hot and in the summer like i don't know why i have in my head like and they would you're they the t- only person that's ever had this thought process but it's an interesting <laughs> one like would they be topless you know when they're just you know no, you wouldn't be topless because, like, the hotter in the country, you don't want to not wear clothes because then the sunburn is awful. Oh, good point, which is why yeah. in like Arabic countries they cover up more. That is true. Um, but they have siestas, and did did Spanish peasants get siestas? I don't know. I feel like that's more of a modern thing. Mm. I don't know, Ryan. What did they dress like? I don't know. I don't know. I, I my oh. curiosity did not go so far as to actually look. <laughs> look it up. Well, yeah. we'll leave that one to the audience. If you're interested, have a Google. If you're not. Let's move on with our yeah. lives. <laughs> uh, anyway, what, who did we talk about last week? Last episode. Yorkshire Ripper. Yorkshire Ripper. That was it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was the good Yorkshire time, Ripper. So, um, yeah, yeah, it was a big one. In, in the same vein as kind of what James went, where we sort of followed this journey from start to finish, and we didn't quite know what was going on, and then we found out that, you know, the guy on the voicemail wasn't the actual guy itself. Yeah, um, yeah. I've kind of done that too. We are going to go on a journey uh, to uh, un- uncover this crime. So, uh, yeah, join us. Uh, do we have anything we wanted to say before we go crack on? Any uh, homework or anything like that? No? I feel like we uh, don't. Before we started recording, I felt like there was a lot to talk about beforehand and update people with our lives, but it's all completely escaped me, so it can't have been that interesting. If it comes to me during the episode, we'll tag it on at the end but no let's just stop boring these fine people and get on with the episodes so they let's can do go about their lives alright let's do it cue the jazz music I'm, I'm going to put jazz music <laughs> you've just had to you've made more editing work for yourself there haven't you yes yes uh, I need to make my CV look better uh, <laughs> June 30th 1910 John Nash and his wife Lily both creatives working in the theatre industry make their way to Scotland Yard in London There, they meet with a friend, Superintendent Frank Frost. But this is not a social call. They're here with concerns. They explain that having come home from a tour in the USA, they've discovered that a close friend of theirs, Cora, has gone off to America, and according to her husband, sadly died out there. Now this doesn't seem all that concerning. People sometimes move around, and all people die. What could possibly be wrong with this scenario? The couple explain that Cora is not the type to just get up and go without telling them. She's a prolific letter writer and they had heard no mention of her intent to move back to the USA. They only had Cora's husband's word on the matter and he is now flaunting his new woman around in public. It's all very uncouth. The detective can't help but feel this is just two friends who are upset that their friend is dead and that the husband is possibly moving on far too quickly. But since it's a friend, Frost gets one of his best men on the job, Walter Dew, a detective with near 30 years experience on the force. He first joined up during the 1880s and one of his first jobs as a regular Bobby was assisting with the hunt for the person who would go to be known as Jack the Ripper. It might seem like overkill for this, but Frost is helping some friends out. It's not like he's going to give them Detective Dewey from Scary Movie. Detective Chief Inspector Dew heads off to make some inquiries. He assumes this will be an easy day's work. What he doesn't realise is that this case will go down in history. DCI Dew heads to the Music Hall Ladies Guild in New Oxford Street, 
It was a charity set up by women whose purpose was to support female performers who had fallen on hard times. Cora was the treasurer of the guild and had been for two years. She was once a performer herself, but was notably so bad that people would hiss at her during her singing shows. But Cora loved the theatre, and she would work in it regardless. She was passionate about the guild and never missed a meeting, always showing up in her finest clothes and jewellery. When Cora missed the meeting on February 2nd, 1910, a couple of the ladies from the guild stopped by at Cora's home to check in on her. They were met by a young woman named Ethel Lenev. She was the typist who worked for Cora's husband. Lenev gave the ladies a letter. It detailed how Cora would be resigning from the position of treasurer and was heading to the USA to care for a poorly relative in California. What struck the ladies was that the letter was not written in Cora's handwriting. It was that of her husband's. Now this is not too suspicious, since it was possible Cora had to leave in a hurry and instructed her husband to write it on her behalf. Suspicions began to rise though, when Cora's husband attended a charity ball for the guild with his typist Lenev. It's not a good look to be turning up to a ball hosted by the guild your wife works for with another younger woman on your arm. Now Cora's friends suspected that her husband was having an affair. Worse still, Lenev was wearing on her chest the diamond brooch that was one of Cora's favourites. Having had no more news from Cora, apart from the letter telling him she'd be in California, on March the 24th, 1910, the guild ladies head to Cora's house to confront her husband. This time, he answered. Standing before them at the door is Dr. Hawley Harvey Crippen, wearing a black armband around his arm to symbolise that he's in mourning. He tells them that he received a letter informing them that Cora had developed pneumonia out in California and has succumbed to her illness. Her remains were cremated out there and were being sent back to him. So, let's take a look at this Dr. Hawley Harvey Crippen. Born 11th of September 1862 in Coldwater, Michigan, he was a single child to parents Andressa and Myron Crippen, although they had tried many a time and failed to produce more children. Now, not much is known about his early years, but we know his father was a merchant and that Hawley didn't really want to follow in his father's footsteps. Hawley was interested in the medical world and studied at the University of Michigan's Homeopathic Medical School and graduated from the Cleveland Homeopathic Medical College in 1884. Now, your ears may likely have pricked up at the word homeopathic. Yes, Hawley wasn't interested in learning actual medicine, but the fake stuff. And I'm almost certain we have had a hot take on homeopathy, but, <laughs> but to briefly explain. Homeopathy is an alternative medicine with the main principle being that like cures like. So if you have a fever, a remedy might be to use belladonna, which can induce a fever. Which, let's take a second to rip this one up. We've all heard of the phrase that you cannot fight fire with fire, and this works with illness too. If you have a fever, it's likely that your body is raising its temperature to kill off any harmful foreign bacteria. The last thing you want to do is actively induce another fever unrelated to your illness, which can then cause you to become dehydrated and have a very, very uncomfortable time. 
And according to the NHS, there is nothing to back claims that the like cures like claim works. That's really interesting because, like, even in my youth, like, sweating out a fever is something that I was told. Oh, yes. So, now that is exactly what your body is doing, though. So, when you are sweating a fever out... Yeah, that's what I mean. Like, that's why you, you add more layers on to oh, like, right. try and sweat it out even more. Absolutely, absolutely. But what you're doing is you're inducing another fever that's unrelated to your illness. Just raising your body temperature is great, but you're causing potentially more damage because your body is now trying to deal with the fact that there's another fever that it didn't induce itself. That's really interesting. And it can actually be quite detrimental so, or possibly just not work anything at all and just make you very, very uncomfortable. And in, in reality, it doesn't actually help, right? Because your body's already no, doing... No, it makes no sense when you think about it. Right, yeah. Your body's already doing the thing it needs to do, which is raise its body temperature. And then yeah. you're like, well, take this medicine. It'll make you feel better. No, it just encourages the body to continue doing what it's doing just at a worse uh, or a higher rate. Yeah, um, yeah. Secondly... There is the principle of dilution, the idea that water retains some kind of memory and that by diluting your medicine into water hundreds of times, it makes it more potent and vastly more effective. Do you remember this, James? I feel like we spoke about this on the Kellogg episode. Yeah, I feel like it is ringing a bell and also like I'm raising my eyebrows at it because that sounds fucking stupid. Yes. Um, the idea was that... Um, you, you, the, the memory held some kind of water. I'm 100% we spoke of this before. Memory has uh, water has a memory. If you put, say, paracetamol for an example, put paracetamol in water, dissolve it, and then you, um, uh, then you filter that out, and you filter it and filter it and filter it and filter it and filter it to the point where there is nothing left of the paracetamol in the water. If you was to test it, it would say there is no trace of paracetamol left in the water that's when it's at its most potent if you was to drink it it would work but it would work at a more uh a better rate that's the idea i don't think science would support that would it just take the paracetamol it it doesn't just take the fucking paracetamol right firstly water doesn't have a fucking memory let's just fucking that's that's done right that point there's a whole other thing about that isn't there like obviously the water cycle that's been going like water has memory of, of of its past yeah secondly if water did have a memory you literally could not drink any water you ever came across right think of how much shit floats about in the water from dead animals to sewage pollution you would be drinking that and it would have an effect on your body and now don't tell me you can filter that out so it's clean because literally what i just said people who subscribe to homeopathy believe that by diluting the water makes it more fucking potent so there's no getting out of it you would be drinking heavily diluted water that is potent of sewage and shit and dead animals and all this kind of stuff, right? Because you, so at, yeah. at that point, there's no, you cannot ever filter water out. Um, you'd be drinking someone's piss, but it's been heavily diluted, so it's super fucking potent. It's it's bollocks, bollocks. Um, and also, <laughs> one one thing that I thought was like a, a good like life uh, way of explaining it is. I like a bit of rum in my Coke, right? I'm a big spiced rum advocate, right? You don't get drunk on having a drop of rum in your Coke. And that's what no. homeopathy is basically going on about, is that like you just put a tiny bit in there and you dilute it and dilute it and dilute it and you can get super fucking drunk off of that. That's, in theory, that's how it would work, but that's not how it works. No, that because then that would mean that if I drank doubles all night, I would be more sober than if I were drinking singles. Yeah, that makes sense, yeah financially that would be amazing it would be it would be but that doesn't make sense i have to say 
Um, I probably ought not to say this because I know someone from work listens to this, but I've been doing this course at work. Every month I go up to like somewhere up north. Generally, it's been Leeds, right? And we go out for a night out afterwards and the drinks are so cheap up in Leeds. Like they're yeah, ridiculously the cheap. To, the north know how to do it. It's just, I don't want to alienate northern listeners, but it's because like London has been such like the hotbed of the UK. And I think it's what a stupid amount of people live in London. Um, I think per the size area or something there's more people than new york but there's not it's like per population or something or something like that but it's so fucking congested that people want to live there that if you want to buy a shot you're looking at eight nine quid whereas yeah. if you go in up to leeds and up north and stuff where it's less desirable to live people will come at me for saying that but in terms of jobs it is like that's why the country is the way that it is it's, it's a lot cheaper like you're looking at a pint for 350 whereas oh. in london getting one for under a fiver is impossible like Mate. they're pushing eight nine quid now granted we are always looking for a weatherspoons when we go out right but i was buying like uh two double rum and cokes for the cost of one in london yeah it's it's absolutely outrageous london needs to fucking stop but this uh, this is i'm gonna back the north i think london is a fucking cesspit and instead of investing all in infrastructure of london pump money into other areas of the country so then the entire thing becomes desirable to live like spread I, yeah. the fucking economy out. Don't just put it in one place where everyone's cramped. Like people that live in London will know how cramped it is, but people that are across the seas and stuff that sort of like see. Th- I love it on when Americans on TikTok go to London and they have this like fairy tale vision of what it is, and then they end up in fucking like Peckham, yeah. and it's just. <laughs> It's just the worst thing in the world. You can go and see Buckingham Palace. You can go to see Westminster. You can ride the tube. Mm. It's it's fucking busy. Um, it's so, especially in summer. Don't go in summer. You will die. You will die. What what I've always wanted to do is try to um, just confuse tourists that are new here and be like, oh no, forget Buckingham Palace. You want to go see Peckingham Palace? It's much bigger. <laughs> <laughs> just sending them to weird places. It's yeah. oh, I, but I, the thing with the thing I love most about Americans is how enthusiastic they are about everything. It's so infectious. Mm. Like you can be having the worst day and you see an American tourist and they're having the best time of their life. Mm. Sometimes I wish I was like that. Just so incredibly enthusiastic about everything that's going on around me. Because I walk through London now and I stare at the floor. I, I don't give a shit. I could be walking past Big Ben and I, I simply don't give a fuck anymore. Yeah. Whereas to someone else, I- that's like the best thing in the world. I'd be walking past Big Ben wondering what the time is and still not look at it. I remember we both worked at London Dungeons. Surprise, we got that in another episode. Like, <laughs> uh, when you know when you're on... There's a position where you're on, like, Front Door Jester, it was called, and basically you stand on South Bank. You weren't supposed to, but that's what people did as a fucking jester to try and get people to come in. I remember once I had this guy come up to me, ask for a fucking... The time, and I just pointed at Big Ben. I was like, yeah. the fucking massive clock there. <laughs> you clock. <laughs> just literally look at it. But he was clearly just so in his own world. He didn't realise one of the world's most famous landmarks were there. How did we get on this topic of conversation? Oh, something about drinks being quite expensive in London. Oh, yeah, London's really expensive. But then on the same vein, I'd also like to go to New York for the same reason I imagine a lot of people come to London, but I imagine it's expensive there as well. You can't win. Yes. Anyway, homeopathy is duff science. And Hawley was now a licensed homeopathic practitioner who we will now be calling... Dr. Crippin from here on. Now That's do- what this episode's about. The entire uh, time I was like, what the fuck is the title of this episode? You didn't say. That's I remember true, I didn't say. <laughs> uh, now, Dr. Crippin set up a private practice in New York because, of course, it had to be private. It's not a real fucking practice. And there he would go on to meet his first wife, Charlotte Bell. 
don't remember yourself of that name, you won't need it for very long. They married in 1887 and would have a son together, but tragedy struck when Charlotte suffered a stroke and died in 1892. Unwilling, Unwilling to be a single dad, Dr. Crippen sent his son off to live with his grandparents in California. Dad of the year there. Look, yeah, just can't be asked, can I? I can't deal with this. I'm not supposed to be raising a child. No, I'm, be making I'm a them. woman. I'm a man. <laughs> That's what men do. Oh, God. I don't know. Uh, uh, Andrew Tate, right, has done, like, I don't know if you've seen, he did an interview with some female journalist and then, like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sp- yeah, yeah spent yeah. half of it being like, oh, you absolutely fancy the pants off of me and that's why this interview is not good enough and all this kind of stuff. And you're like, oh, fuck off, you. I don't condone arsehole. violence. Like, I don't condone violence in the slightest, but I would fucking cherish a video if it were to emerge of someone going up to him and just fucking nutting him and just oh, laying yeah. him out like yeah. i he needs to be humbled i don't yes. know how he's got this ego he was a kickboxer or whatever fine is is loaded fine he looks like a fucking egg <laughs> someone put I don't up, know wh- you know he um you know the uh the stocks uh meme of that like weird shaped fucking head and it's like mm, yeah, stonks yeah, yeah. and mechanics yeah like, someone said that it looks like that <laughs> It does. I don't understand his following. No, and I let's don't. Let's be honest, his following are just men who are, I don't know, a bit out of the world and think the world's out to get them because obviously they think that other causes are getting more time than they are. When really, I'm not going to lie, fellas, if you're a white bloke, we've won the lottery from the second we popped out of the womb. Stop using your time fucking moaning and like bigging up Andrew Tate and go out and do something. You're a white man. Like, you've got this privilege, fucking use it or lose it. Speaking of toxic males, are you aware of a man called Stephen Crowder? No. I highly recommend you look up Stephen Crowder when you get an opportunity. He is a, I believe, a Canadian-born American who lives in Texas. He's all gun-toting. He does the uh, Change My Mind meme. Mm-hmm, 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 That's mm-hmm. Stephen Crowder, right? That's Stephen Crowder. Very, very mm. right-wing Christian um, and has some very strong opinions. He is going through a divorce with his wife, right? And he's like, oh, I'm a victim. It's all sad and whatnot. And uh, a some footage from his home, I believe his wife, uh, ex-wife, soon to be uh, released, shows him just being an absolute prick to her. And she's like eight months pregnant. And this was a couple of years ago. But it's like, he, uh, he's the way he's talking to her, being like, oh, you don't do wifely things. And you're, you're like, you know, you don't deserve to be my wife because you don't do wifely things, all this kind of stuff. And you're like, oh, get a grip, bro. And then, and then he's like, and he does, uh, so he has his own show on YouTube. And, um, he said about how, oh, I've been going through a really terrible divorce since 2021. Um, and because Texas, uh, allows for, uh, one, one party, one side party, um, divorces uh i have to be divorced now and it's like right it's not so it's texas's fault that you had a divorce not the fact that you're fucking prick to your wife <laughs> these men like this they don't deserve the fucking air that they breathe because like, i just he, think the world owes them something for yeah, no reason he actually says the lines along um i am uh i believe in christian values i believe that a child should have a mother and a father and they should live together blah 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 but my beliefs don't count so you like yes they yeah they do they do i don't know who is telling him that, that it pisses me off so much man when you get these people that are like my views are being infringed by black lives matter and trans activists how how is someone fucking transitioning impacting your life 
Just if, if it's on Facebook, go, okay, cool, and scroll fucking past it. If you want a wife and kids, have it. No one's going to stop you from having that. Yeah. I, I don't fucking get it. You get all this stuff at the minute with Bud Light and like how it is. it used to be the most drank beer in America, and now it's not because they dared to use a trans woman on their like campaign Mm. who gives a fuck like genuinely who gives a fuck it's these people that call other people snowflakes these right-wing cunts maybe that word out yeah that's the word and that they they get so offended over the littlest things fuck off and this is what i wanted to bring up the start of the episode it's just come back to me that weird fucking review we had where you couldn't really decipher it but it seems like they were calling us like too woke fuck i don't care I don't care. We have our views. We air our views. And some of our views are, are kind of weird. Some people would raise their eyebrows at what we say. I'm sure they already have this episode. But isn't that just the fucking beauty of free media? You can sort mm. of do what you want. So if you disagree with our views, start a fucking podcast. Yes. Uh, my my favourite comment, because uh, well, obviously as, if you guys follow us, you will have seen I posted that review on our Instagram. My favourite comment, I uh, forget the name, so apologies. Someone said, I didn't realise Ben Shapiro listened to your podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I think that was Ryan. Yeah, another it, Ryan. It, fantastic, yeah. fantastic comment. It just, you, it, the it knighthood. I, and nothing computes for me when, like, obviously I'm a white man, so, like, I don't feel like Black Lives Matter's after me. I don't feel like people trans people are going to like take away my right to marry and get a job like i've never felt infringed in my life i just think people like to be a victim mm. Mm. people Absolutely. like to fight against things don't they it's, it's that's a whole other kettle of fish but i again i don't know how we got onto this conversation but i'm in a ranty mood well, i worked today and it was a sunday so i'm <laughs> fired up we uh we got onto this because uh dr crippen was being a uh uh uh, uh Oh, sensitive male a sensitive male we're gonna call him uh and just, couldn't handle being a dad so then we got onto more sensitive males yeah just be a good dad because if you're not a good dad then your kid's not going to be a good dad either and you just set this chain cycle of dickheads like yeah. if your dad was a dickhead end the cycle just be the yeah. one nice person and then it's Absolutely. done forever i know yeah oh, oh how have we gotten to dad's buck man because it's, it's father's day, day in the uk as we record <laughs> in and i am just staying away from all father's day related activities as we all know my father does not care <laughs> <laughs> one day we'll do an episode about each other and then you'll learn all about it that'd be quite interesting actually maybe the christmas special yeah <laughs> anyway cripping having sent his son away to california stayed in new york and took work under another homeopath dr munyan's homeopathic pharmaceutical company now while working there he met kunigunde makamotsky also known as cora a half russian half german stage performer but as i said earlier not a very good one she had all the passion but her talent didn't quite match in fact some people would hate watch her they would pay money just to heckle at her performances, which is just horrid. Was it? Yeah, I imagine, when was this? Late 1800s? Yeah. And she was half German, half Russian. I imagine for some reason they didn't like that either. Probably. Now, it's at this point where I might typically say, Cora and Crippin hit it off immediately, but I'm not entirely sure that they did. My reasons for saying that will come clear soon. It is known that Crippin liked Cora and despite her not-so-stellar shows, was a big fan, and he wanted her to hit those lofty heights she was aiming for. They married in 1894. Crippin was still working at the homeopathy place, but was side-hustling as Cora's manager. Now, we don't entirely know what spurred this next decision, 
but the Crippins decided to move to London in 1897. Now, I wonder whether it was Cora's career that spurred the move. The reason I wonder this is because London is famous for its theatre industry. There's so much going on that Cora might find herself a niche audience. The other reason I wonder is because, if you remember, Dr Crippin is a doctor in fake medicine, and the UK did not recognise any of his qualifications, meaning he could not be a doctor in the UK, which I thought was hilarious. That's why, so, he, so he could be in the US but not in the UK? Yeah, so he could be in the US because it's, so whatever it is, they had laxed laws, whereas in the UK, the, the, the qualification bar was so high that his fake medicine qualifications, just they're not, they're not at the standard that the UK thinks are acceptable. So he couldn't right. be a doctor in the UK. So why would he move there knowing that he couldn't practice? Yeah. So that's why I wonder whether they left there so that Cora might have a shot. He did it for her. Maybe. Now, regardless... Wow, love. It, it is. Now, regardless, they settled in London and Cripping continued his job with Munyon selling alternative medicines, but was fired from his role in 1899 since he was spending too much time focusing on Cora's career than his own job. So he took a job as a manager in an institution for the deaf in 1905. He was allowed to hire his own typist, so he hired 18-year-old Ethel Lenev. Having lived in various places around London, the couple settled at 39 Hilldrop Crescent in Islington. Now, it was a lot bigger than they could afford, but Cora had expensive taste and Crippin was a people pleaser. They took on lodgers now and then to help support their meagre income. Now, let's come back to the part where I questioned if they really were into each other or not. I get the sense that Crippin was into Cora a lot more than she was into him. See, he spent a lot of time and money trying to help build a career for her, and it doesn't seem that he was doing it to leech off of her clout either, because remember, he has ears, right? And he's likely aware that she's not very good. But maybe it was a case of just wanting her to be happy. I don't know. Was she attractive? Uh, for the time, maybe. I don't. I don't. I think always find so. that really interesting for the time. Like beauty is developed. Um, I'll, Search I'll just... up Cora Crippin, and uh, yeah, she, she pops up. How does how do I spell her name? C O R A C R I P P E N. Okay, I'm googling it now. I'll keep talking. No. Like she's, you know. I mean, he looks like the. If he was born nowadays, he'd be playing fucking Fortnite in his mom's basement. Yeah. So. Yeah, or he would have a YouTube channel saying, "All oh, women don't love me." Yeah, he's an incel. Yeah, I th- I think he would just infatuated with this woman. I think so. Maybe because she wasn't very good. And, like, this is a horrible technique that men use so women stay aware. Like, if your self-esteem is st- so low because people, like, talk shit about you all the time and, like, berate you, like, there are certain men that will prey on that because they know that you're kind of easy. I'm doing, like, air quotes while saying that. So maybe mm. that's what he's done here. Because, like, no one else is going to love him because he looks like a fucking psychopath. So he's seen mm. this sort of, like, easy target. Yeah, possibly. Now, Cora, on the other hand, if I'm going to be nice about it, was very much um, an entertainment girlfriend. Now, what do I mean by that? James, you, such as me, you, in the same way as I am, are a trained actor, right? We've been in and around the entertainment industry. We've met stereotypes, uh, the, 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 the very stereotypes that there are, and included yeah. in that are very flirtatious people right the industry yeah 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 the industry is full 
of flirty people and it's a very odd world see it's very bizarre it's very common for performers to date other performers and likely know the people that their partners have previously dated now why is this it's a very incestuous industry it is that's what we've always joked about when we worked at the dungeon as well are those yes are those who work in the entertainment industry all a bunch of horned up promiscuous people probably not but not to be all oh you normies don't understand but performers by nature are very out there kind of people who are more than happy to talk to almost anyone who makes contact with them right so they can always i think come across as overtly friendly and sometimes to a level where they're being perceived as being flirty this is the thing like if you're ever in a position and you're not like a performer act whatever and you're dating someone who is in the industry and it's like that and you're getting angry at them for being like flirty with someone else they probably aren't intending to be that's just like their personality they're an extrovert they're just being really nice to this person mm. whether that other person perceives it as being flirty or not that's entirely on them but like I, i've known so many relationships that have collapsed because one partner was just a really friendly person and spoke to anyone and the other partner simply couldn't handle it now cora was a fan of having male friends around her it was widely known that Cora was having affairs with other performers and even having affairs with the lodgers that they took in. Now, luckily, the home at Hilldrop Crescent was big enough that Crippen and Cora had their own separate bedrooms. Now, you may be wondering why they didn't just get a divorce. But the answer to that is because it was the early 20th century and it wasn't that common. In fact, in the first decade of the 20th century, there was one divorce for every 450 marriages. Jeez, that's wild. Yeah. I also, oh, mad. That's crazy. Compare that to like nowadays, where is it? Was it fifty percent of marriages end in divorce? Yeah, yeah. as Jim, as Jim tells us in the office. <laughs> yeah, I suppose as well. It's because obviously, thank God nowadays, like women have a lot more rights and they can choose to walk away from a relationship. But back in them days, if they didn't like it, like they did not get a say. Oh yeah. Now you you also have to remember that it really wasn't that easy to get a divorce back in the day. One of the main ways to secure a divorce was to prove that one of the parties had been adulterous. Now, Crippin qualifies for this, right? But I don't think he was overly keen on the idea of outing himself as a man whose wife openly cheats on him and then be known as a cuck for the rest of his life. He's a very proud man. Apparently so. I'd also like to point out now, if you are a cuck and you are listening, there is nothing wrong with that. That is your choice. But during this era, it would not have gone down that well. There you go. (laughs) Is it? Is it? So that is, is sorry, we're gonna have to get into definitions here. Is that where like you, you actively are okay with your partner sleeping with someone else? Uh, mm, yes. Uh, I know. I know. Cuckold comes in in Shakespearean languages as well. Yes. I always thought it just uh, a a uh, cuck in terms that I'm using it is someone who uh, is aware that their partner is is sleeping aware that well. the person is sleeping with other people, but actively enjoys watching it. Right, yeah, yeah, that's that's a thing. That's a thing. Yeah, that, yeah, and fair yeah. enough. Yeah, yeah, if that's your thing, power to you. Yeah. Um, now, by 1905, however, Crippen was getting his own way. He had developed his own relationship with his typist, Ethel Lenev. Now, oh. but remember, she's 18, right? So there is a 20-year oh. age gap. No. Mm. And also, no. he is her boss, which is slightly problematic. Yeah, that there's so much wrong with this situation. It's a bit, um, Philip. I don't, I, I don't know. I didn't say that. Uh, dis- Wait, how long? When did she start working with him? Presumably before she was sixteen. Who? 
this typist. Oh no, she was 18 when he hired her, so it's legal. Right, right, okay, okay. I mean, it's legal in our country when they're 17, so. Uh, yeah, but it, it's frowned upon. Legal but unethical. Yeah, frowned upon. Yeah. Now, Philip despite. Schofield. Oh god. <laughs> No. I can say it. He's not going to listen. No, he's not. Despite the 20-year age gap, it seemed that they were pretty good together. She was mild-mannered like him. She was intelligent. She was respectful to Crippin, because that's important, and completely opposite to the outgoing Cora. Now, it had no real bearing on Cora and Crippin's relationship, right? Because this is an unhealthy one, where they're both sleeping around with other people. They're both aware that they do that. They have separate rooms. They've not been intimate for years. Just... They're pretending to go along with this married life. They're just just putting the front on the image because they just, for whatever reason, just aren't going to get a divorce instead. Hmm. Now, they still held dinner parties at their home and attended social events as husband and wife. But one particular dinner may have been the catalyst that led to Cora's trip to America. Now, the Crippins had some friends over one evening. Things were going well, as any typical hosting event ought to. In my head, I've got, you know, like like that black and white 1950s like you know they bring the boss round to their house and they're like oh this yeah, is a really yeah. this is a really big deal for me wife you better cook some really good steaks you know i don't want my yeah, boss thinking their, my wife is shit everyone in their finery yeah and like, i can't imagine they said too much off script like i can't imagine cripping be like oh you know my boss is a twat and then them just going off on that yeah, for a bit yeah. like, it's like oh how's yeah. work oh yeah it's great it's fine now things went wrong when one of the guests wanted to use the bathroom. Now, 39 uh, Hilldrop Crescent is not that big a house. Like I said, it's big, but it's big for the two of them. That's why they had to have so many lodgers. But it's not overly massive where you can't find the bathroom. But because of this, uh, Crippin never actually explained whether the bathroom was in the house. So the guest was just left wandering around being like, oh, is it this door? Oh, no, it's the bedroom. Sorry, I'll move to the next one. Now, Cora absolutely scolded Crippin in front of their friends for his rudeness over this. Now, can I just say, do if you're in a if you're in a relationship, never fucking air your issues in front of your friends or strangers. It's embarrassing. Be an adult about it. Talk about it privately when it's appropriate. It no one has ever like witnessed an, a couple having an argument and been like, oh, this is fine. Like, it's embarrassing. Yeah, it's, it's the awkward. most uncomfortable situation for Bro. like the person watching. Yeah, man. Just don't do it. If you have an issue with your partner, just like take them aside and be like, Look, I don't like the way you talk to me. Let's go home. Like, just fucking sort yeah. it out yourself. Anyway. Especially over something so menial as well. I know. Now, it, after an argument was ensued, right, Cora was never seen again by any of her friends and later found mm. out that she had moved to America and that's when she then passed away, right? Right. Now, with Cora out of the picture, Crippin could now live his life as he wants to with his new young girlfriend, right? They're not hiding it anymore. So he moved her into his home. He allowed her to wear the clothes and jewellery that Cora had left behind. He even took her to the ball held at the Ladies' Guild that Cora worked for. So it's here that we now come back to the beginning of our story, when friends of Cora come back from the USA and learn that she has died in America. Now, when Chief Inspector Walter Dew came to the house to speak with Dr. Crippin, he's met with the odd-looking man. Now, James, you've seen what he looks like, right? Crippin mm. has eyes that slightly bulge outwards. He has a very thick moustache, sort of like gold-rimmed mm. spectacles, and he's very short, apparently. Now, oh. 
Inspector Dew explained the story that he had learned so far from the Ladies' Guild, that Cora had gone to America, that she'd sadly passed away. But what he didn't expect was for Crippin to say the words, quote, I suppose I'd better tell the truth. Oh. Oh. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Cool. Now, he invites Inspector Jew into his home and explains that despite their public image, the two had been estranged for several years and had separate rooms. He explained that Cora is not, in fact, dead, but very much alive. So why the pretense? Yeah. Crippen explains that after the fight at the dinner party, Cora told him that she was leaving him for good and ran off to America with one of her lovers. Crippen, afraid of the backlash from people knowing the truth, lied, saying that she'd gone to America to look after a relative and had sadly passed away. Now, Inspector Jew is suspicious mainly due to one piece of evidence he had learned earlier in the case. See, when Cora's friends learned that she'd passed away in California, they did some digging of their own. They got in contact with the Chamber of Commerce in LA asking for a death certificate of Cora Crippen. They were surprised to learn that nobody with the name Crippen had died out there. Now, because of this, they thought, okay, well, maybe she went somewhere else. Uh, so we won't know where she is. Maybe she didn't die out there exactly. So let's try and find something else. They contacted every single shipping company that had routes to America and asked if anyone with the name of Crippen had boarded. And would you be surprised? Not a single person under the name of Crippen had travelled to America on a shipping route. Oh dear. Now... With this knowledge in the back of his head, Inspector Jew asked if he could have a look around the house. Crippin, dabbing a bead of sweat from his brow with a handkerchief, obliges. Inspector Jew finds nothing out of the ordinary, though, when searching the house. He does, however, feel an eeriness when entering the basement. It's cold down there, and it feels off. But that's basements, right? They're cold, unwelcoming places. We tend not to put things down there of importance. Satisfied that there is nothing here, Jew leaves, but he can't seem to get that basement out of his head. But with no evidence to warrant a further inspection, he leaves it at that. Now, he instead decides he wants to speak with Crippin again. Now, this time he heads to the office where Dr. Crippin works, but Crippin is not there. He's met with a colleague who gives Jew a letter that he received from Crippen himself, saying, quote, I now find that in order to escape trouble, I shall be obliged to absent myself for a time. Which is very sus, I must say. That is very sus. Jew mm. now feels that his hunch about the basement must have something to it. 
so he heads to Crippen's house to conduct a search while he's gone. Now, can I just say as well, at this point, I believe this to be illegal, what he does, right? Crippen is not there. He cannot give permission. He's not in his own home, but he goes back and he's like, well, Crippen's not there at the moment, so let's just get in there and have a little search. No, yeah, you need a warrant. Well, that's the thing. Today, you do need a warrant to enter someone's house without permission. And I also learned this as well. If if the police have a warrant to search your home, you don't even need to be there to let them in. They don't have to show yeah. you it or anything. They could, You could just be coming home and go, how did you get in? And they're like, we just broke the door down. They're absolutely entitled to do that. And that's fucking crazily scary. Now, at the house, Jew is met with Crippin's French maid. She tells them that Crippin has been gone for several days. She details how Crippin informed her that he and Ethel and Ev would be going away for a bit to, quote, avoid a little scandal. He then changed up a £37 cheque into gold, gave his servants £2, instructing them to buy a boy's suit, tie, hat, and size 5 shoes. He, and then Lenev, fled. Jew and his colleagues searched the house thoroughly, even digging up the garden, but they found nothing. They swept the basement that was haunting Jew's sleepless nights, but again, nothing. But he couldn't get that basement out of his head. Something was wrong with it. Now on the fourth search of the house, Jew, along with his colleagues, are on their hands and knees in the basement. They're testing the brick floor with a poker for any bricks that may have been tampered with. Jew is about to give up when the poker lodges itself in between two bricks that are loose. He pulls the brick out and more bricks come loose and then more. And then an unmistakable stench hits him. It's the stench of rotting flesh. Oh dear. When enough bricks are pulled from the floor, they discover a human torso rotting under the floor. Chunks of flesh surround it. Jew is convinced that these are the remains of Cora, but Dr. Crippen has been very careful to make the remains unrecognisable. The head, hands and genitalia have all been removed and are never found. Mm. Crippen made one error though. It's noted that he used quicklime to try and dissolve the body. Now quicklime when dry can dissolve a body with ease. However, when mixed with a liquid, it can act as a preserver. Now, it's possible that Dr. Not-A-Real-Dr. Crippen didn't realise this, which meant that he made a bit of a dodgy mixture. Now, the police surgeon who came to have a look at this torso also noticed one unique feature on the remains. He noticed that there was what looked like a scar. Now, having reviewed Cora's medical records, the scar seemed to be consistent with previous procedures. With this in mind, they were convinced... Inspector Jew puts out an arrest warrant for Dr. Crippen and his girlfriend Ethel Lenev. He contacts all the police forces in the country and as many on mainland Europe as he can get in contact with. He knows it will be tough since he expects Crippen and Lenev to be in disguise. Now on July 20th 1910, Captain Henry Kendall is walking along the deck of his ship the Montrose. It's docked in Antwerp, Belgium and is soon to be heading off to Quebec, Canada. He's wandering around greeting his passengers. He usually does this, but this time he's keeping a keener eye out. He recently arrived in Belgium from London, where he was told by Thames police to be on the lookout for Dr. Crippen. He's on the run and he's likely disguised. 
In his quarters, he has a picture of Crippen taken from a newspaper and has instructed all his crew to keep an eye out for Crippen and his young girlfriend, possibly disguised as a boy. Captain Kendall is suspicious of one particular father and son. The father is clean-shaven and the boy wears a large flat cap that covers most of his face. Now at first glance, nothing is suspicious, but watching them a little more, Captain Kendall notices that the son, who according to the passenger log is 16, is holding his father's hand quite delicately and every now and then squeezes it rather affectionately. Mm. Now this behaviour is certainly odd, according to Captain Kendall. As they walk past him, he greets them and watches. From behind, he can see that the boy's trousers are much too big for him and are pinned to hold them up. Now running back to his quarters, Captain Kendall stares at the image of Crippin. He whites out the moustache in the photo with chalk and is now absolutely certain that this is Dr Crippin on his ship. Now not wanting to be hasty and cause a huge police operation on a hunch, Captain Kendall does his best to find out more. This is really cool though, by the way, like what Captain Kendall goes on to do. He, at this point, is like, look, I don't want to raise an alarm. It might not actually be the guy and I'm just going to cause a big fuss. So he like goes full on detective on this and it's really actually quite cool. Um, On the journey, he takes time to sit with a father and son and questions them in a polite manner. Something a captain tries to do with all his passengers. Now he notices that the father doesn't wear glasses, but has a noticeable ridge dented into the top of his nose. The father explains that, yeah, he does sometimes wear glasses, but just not at the moment. Kendall also mentions how he's a bit concerned with some of the passengers that have been coming down with seasickness, and this is quite unusual. The father then, who claims to be a merchant, starts offering advice using medical terms that the average merchant really ought not to know. He's also noticing that on occasion, when he calls the father by the given name of Mr. Robinson, he doesn't respond until prompted by the son. Ah. Captain Kendall is absolutely certain he has the cellar murderer on his ship sailing to Canada. Luckily, the Montrose ship is fitted with a brand new top-of-the-range bit of Gucci gear, a Marconi wireless transmitter. It is one of 60 ships in the world to be fitted with this, and he uses it to send a message back to London before they go out of range. The message states, quote, Have strong suspicions that Crippin, London seller murderer and accomplice are among saloon passengers. Moustache taken off, growing beard, accomplice dressed as boy, manner and build, undoubtedly a girl. Now, the funny thing is, had Crippen decided to travel third class, he likely would never have come into contact with Captain Kendall. He may have gotten away with it completely, but no. Crippen wanted to travel in style, therefore he came into contact with the captain and that was his undoing. His own pride got in the way. Yeah, 100%. It does seem that maybe he was showing off to Ethel, being like, oh, no, 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 it's, it's fine, honey. Like, we're going to have a new life together. I'll pay for the ship and we're going to go first class. We're going to dine with the captain with your baggy clothes and your flat cap. Um, yeah, if they'd just gone third class, sat in their cabin. Because bear in mind, this journey is like, what, eight, nine days across the, uh, across the Atlantic. Just sit in your cabin for a week and just chill the fuck out and get out of there. Now... With the authorities now aware that Crippin was on a ship bound to Canada, 
they had to act fast. Canada is still a part of the British Empire at this time, but if Crippin, a US citizen, manages to cross the border, it'd be nigh on impossible to get him extradited. Inspector Dew had to make a move. On the 23rd of July, he boarded the White Star liner SS Laurentic and headed to Quebec himself. Um, this bit took me by surprise. This was like a really fun little fact, and I was like, oh, that makes sense. How is it that Dew, who's supposed to get to Canada by ship before Crippin, when he left before him, how's he supposed to do that, right? Now, we know that ships are slow, but there's a reason he chose a specific shipping company, White Star. Now, if you remember, White Star is the same company that just two years later would launch the unsinkable ship, the Titanic. <laughs> so these guys, at this time anyway, these guys are like the premium shipping company with like some of the fastest transatlantic travel going. So it was just like the obvious yeah. choice. But I just thought that was a really fun little fact, you know, that, that they're, they're involved somehow in this uh, historic case. Yeah, they've got their own shit to deal with in a couple of years. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now, Inspector Dew, I would like to assume, massively enjoyed the all-expenses trip paid to Canada on a premium oh, yeah. ship. I would be. <laughs> yeah. I'd be like, just another martini, please. <laughs> it's on a tap. Yeah, what is it, like a week at sea, if not more? Uh, well, we'll get to this. Dew arrived at Quebec on July the 30th, a full day before Dr. Crippenwood which is seriously quick, right? That's seven days it took to cross the Atlantic in a hundred and th- 113 years ago. 113 that's, that's, years ago, it took seven days to cross. That is really good. It's good, isn't it? But yeah, if I was on business, expand, like, what are you going to do for seven days? You can't work. You've got no Wi-Fi. Like, yeah. Just sit there, have some drinks, just enjoy yourself. Right. You've literally got nothing else to do. Yeah, exactly. And do you know what's mad as well? Like 113 years later, it's not that much quicker now. What to sail? Yeah. Now, Mad. I mean, I don't trust boats anyway. I wouldn't. I wouldn't fuck with them. Oh uh, no, Jenna and I are dying to go on a cruise. We'd love to. Really? Yeah. yeah cruises are not for me. I feel like cruises. You either love them or you hate them. And like I am, it's not. I'm, I don't have sea legs. Oh, I do. I'm all right with it. Now, Crippin aboard the Montrose has no idea that Jew is after him. He thinks he's got off scot free. Now, while Jew is trying to keep his journey quiet in fear of alerting Crippin, he even refused, and this is, this is hilarious, Inspector Jew even refused to tell his wife that he was going off to Canada. That's how fucking like, secretive he was being about this whole thing. He did not want anyone How's to know. How's he explained that he's going away for a week? That was, or like, over a week. That was my thinking. Imagine he just comes back and she's like, where have you been for like three weeks? And he's like, nah, don't worry about it. <laughs> just popped out. Just popped out. Just went to Canada and back. Like, at least try and get her a fucking... Like, I'm assuming his room is big enough that he's going to have two people in it, right? At least. Just bring your yeah. wife. Bring her along. Yeah. Have a holiday. Wow. I'd be livid if I was her. I know, right? That's, uh, I think it's hilarious, though. Um, Captain Kendall at the helm of the Montrose, however, is doing the absolute opposite. He has told a few media outlets on the other side of the Atlantic what's happening. So whilst this brand new Marconi transmitter that was put on the ship, right, um, that worked wonders in alerting the police that he's on there he's also now using it to tell everyone else and sell a story um um right okay yeah now crippin is the headline of nearly every newspaper murderer is coming to canada that kind of vibe in fact mm. everyone knows about it to the point that when Jew, when walter when walter Jew makes land 
he is mobbed by Canadian journalists, as this article from the Westminster Gazette stated in 1910. Quote, Inspector Jew's identity was unknown on board the Laurentic until the last two days, says the same correspondent. He kept himself aloof from all the passengers and scarcely spoke to six people. Inspector Jew on landing was besieged by press representatives, but refused to say anything whatever in respect to the object of his journey, confirming himself to the remark that he had had a pleasant voyage. That's all he had to say. And they're like, Mr. Jew, what do you think? What do you think? Oh, I've had a nice journey. It's been nice. <laughs> yeah, what else has he got to say? Yeah, I'm not here for you. I'm just had a nice time. Now, as the Montrose gets closer to land, Crippen becomes more agitated. He begins to ask the captain more and more questions, such as, what time will the ship dock? Will the Montrose be met with a pilot ship to take it back to dock? How long may this all take? It's very clear that Crippen is an anxious man. But Captain Kendall is told by wireless transmission that Inspector Jew will be coming aboard the Montrose as soon as it reaches the dock, and that no passenger is to leave. On July the 31st, the Montrose reaches its destination, Disguised as a ship's pilot, Inspector Dew meets Captain Kendall on the ship's bridge and is escorted to the captain's quarters. Dr. Crippin, still unwise to the ploy, is brought to the captain's quarters as well. His face turns white when he walks in and sees the face of Inspector Dew, who says, quote, Good morning, Dr. Crippin. <laughs> and then Dr. Crippin replies, Good morning, Mr. Dew. <laughs> That is cold. Isn't it? That is cold. Can you imagine? You've been on a ship for the last week. You think you fucking got away with it. And then someone's like, uh, sorry, Mr. Robinson, the uh, captain would just like to see you before you depart. And, oh, okay. Yeah, sure. Okay, I'll see how he's doing. Hello. Ca- oh, my God. <laughs> Hello, Mr. Crippin. <laughs> At that point as well, he's like, yeah, you've got me. Fair yeah, play. this is the thing, right? So Jew places Crippin under arrest for the murder and mutilation of his wife, Cora Crippin. Crippin, appearing to be relieved by all, says, quote, Thank God it's over. The suspense has been too great. I couldn't stand it any longer. I don't what know if I be- I don't know if I believe that comment. I wonder whether that's him trying to like soften it all, being like, Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. this was awful for me. I hated it. I didn't want to run. Oh, I just panicked and I did it. All the way through, it's clear that he's a very proud person and he needs to be like in control of the situation. Oh, yeah. So he needs to make it seem like it's for his benefit. Exactly. And also, upon being searched, Crippin is found to have all of Cora's jewellery pinned to the inside of his coat. Why would you do that? Yeah. To sell it, I guess. Well, yeah, exactly. I think he wants to just sell it to make money so they can live their life out in America. Now, Ethel Lenev is discovered in their cabin still wearing the ill-fitted boy's clothing. In fact, she screams like a banshee when Jew walks into the room and I imagine goes, good morning, Mrs. Lenev. Um, (laughs) She too is arrested in connection with the murder. Now, the pair are brought back to London on August the 20th, 1910. They're both held in prison until their trial in October. Crippen and Lenev are tried separately. He for the murder, she for being accessory. They both pled not guilty, but the public have already made their minds up. He is dubbed the London cellar murderer in the papers. Now, Crippen's defence is that Cora is indeed alive and living in America. But that, of course, doesn't explain the body in the basement. Yeah. 
Crippin's defence states that the couple have only been living there for five years and it is possible, with the effect of quicklime, that the body could have been laid there earlier than when they moved in. There's no proof to say when this was laid. And that's kind of good. Now, the prosecution's key piece of evidence, though, is that scar tissue they say proves the identity of it being Cora. Now, the defence claims that on further inspection, that scar shows hair follicles in the tissue, something that should not be present in scars since hair does not grow in scar tissue. Mm. But the prosecution argues back, saying that the scar is surface level deep and the hair follicles are underneath the scar tissue. Therefore, it is entirely plausible for there to be hair follicles. Right. Now, one of the prosecution's smoking guns was the toxin compound hyoscine, otherwise known as devil's breath, which sounds really cool. Mm. A powerful drug used at the time as an anaesthetic. Large quantities of the toxin were found in the torso claimed to be that of Cora. Now, Crippin is also cited having purchased the toxin from a chemist days before the killing. Crippin claims that he purchased them to use them in a homeopathic medicine, saying that he used it to help her sleep. Now, there was also a piece of men's pyjama found with the torso, the same kind of pyjama that was gifted to Crippin by Cora the year previous. It's all looking a bit... It's all like mounting up, in it? Now... Not that it's evidence at all, but it was noticed by all watching that Crippin appeared to show no remorse for his late wife. The only time he came alive was in defence of his young girlfriend, Lenev, claiming that she knew absolutely nothing at all about the murder and believed implicitly that Cora had gone off to America. What do you think? I mean, just in that, hasn't he just admitted to murdering her, being like, well, she didn't know anything about this, I'd like, about what? Yeah. But what do you think? Do you yeah, think that Ethel knew anything about it? Well, yeah, why is she dressed as a fucking boy? Yeah. Yeah. I, I'd be like, why? If, if there's nothing to hide, why why can't we just get on this boat so, as us? Weirdly enough, the jury agreed with Dr. Crippin. After mere minutes, Lenev is found not guilty to being an accessory to murder. Uh, they absolutely oh. implicitly believe that she has nothing to do with it. She was just a dumb little 18-year-old who just believed everything he said. I suppose, yeah, I, I think that's probably fair enough, really. Like, she didn't really do anything wrong. She just sort of got involved with the wrong man. Yeah. Go and live your life. Yeah, it seems so. Now, in Crippin's case, the jury takes just 27 minutes to find Dr. Harley Harvey Crippin guilty of the murder of his wife, Cora Crippin. Um, also, I mentioned earlier that when Inspector Jude takes on this case, he thinks it's just going to be a box standard little investigation, just an easy day's work. And I said that it would go down in history, and it does, because this is the first case in uh, British law, uh, British criminal history or whatever, that um, uh, a wireless transmission from a ship was used to capture someone. Oh, interesting. Yeah, okay. yeah. Now, the Daily Mirror, for all its faults nowadays, at the time, done a really cool piece explaining what happened at sentencing. Now, I'm going to read it to you, uh, and it's really cool. Quote, A murmur of guilty at the back of the court, a louder cry of guilty in the corridor outside. Then, a measured, formal tone, the clerk of arraign. Prisoner at the bar, have you anything to say why sentence of death should not be passed upon you? Crippin's lips stirred inaudibly. 
The judge, as his marshal, appeared beside him ready to place the black cap of the judicial head, said with gentle severity, Speak up, Crippin! The perfect silence broken by one hissing sentence from the lips of the convicted criminal. I still protest my innocence. <laughs> How cool is that? As I, you would. That's cool. As you would. That's, that's oh, well written as well. It's well written, isn't it? Because you just have, in your head, you've got this image. It's just deathly silent as Crippin is just chattering. You can almost hear his teeth just tapping, tapping away at each other as he's yeah. like, I still protest my innocence. <laughs> yeah. Nice visual writing, I like yeah. it. Yeah. The judge at sentencing said, to continue this quote, Hawley Harvey Crippen, you have been convicted upon evidence which can leave no doubt in the mind of any reasonable man that you cruelly poisoned your wife, and to conceal your crime, mutilated her body, and disposed piecemeal of her remains, possessed yourself of her property, and used it for your own purposes. It was further established that as soon as suspicion was aroused, you fled from justice and took every measure to conceal your flight. On the ghastly and wicked nature of the crime, I will not dwell. I will only tell you that you must entertain no expectation or hope that you will escape the consequences of your crime, and I implore you to make your peace with Almighty God. The sentence upon you is that you be taken from this place to the place of your execution, and that you be hanged by the neck until you be dead, and that your body be buried in the precincts of the prison, and may the Lord have mercy on your soul. Oh, that's not what you want to hear. Ah, <laughs> oh, ah, oh, I loved it. I loved, so I found you can like obviously search up a lot of the history of newspapers and articles. You just type yeah, in what yeah. you're looking for. And there's so many articles dating back to this uh, trial of everyone was writing about it. And it was so much fun just reading some of these articles at the time. Now, Crippen was taken to Pentonville Prison, where at 9am on Wednesday, the 23rd of November, he was hanged. His body was buried within the prison grounds. Now, one thing we will never know is why Crippen murdered his wife. Crippen never, ever explained his motive. Maybe he couldn't handle Cora's consistent extramarital affairs and the shame that he felt. We know that Cora was better financially, um, maybe because she had a lot of jewels that were worth a pretty penny. Maybe he thought that getting rid of her would allow him to sell her property and that he and Lenev could live a new life in America. We just don't know, and we likely never will. Now he's re- I mean, no, he's dead. Yeah, he is dead now. His relationship with Lenev seemed to be a genuine one despite that 20-year age gap. In fact, Crippen wrote a will leaving everything to Lenev, including Cora's belongings. Since he was the husband, he thought they were now his to give. But a ruling decided that since Crippen would not have come into these possessions without Cora's murder, he therefore had no right to these possessions. So, Lenev left the country. She lived in Toronto in Canada for a while before moving back to London, where she changed her name to Ethel Harvey, which is Hawley Harvey Crippen, middle name, Hmm. which is a bit weird. I don't know whether she did that in honour of him for a bit because she's, you know, some young 19-year-old being like, oh, I'm just, oh, I love the man that murdered this woman. Yeah. So, uh, in fact, she would actually go on to marry and have kids of her own. uh, And she died in 1967, aged 84. Oh, good innings. Well done. Some good innings. Yeah, well done. Now, in 2020, 
a second cousin of Crippin, three times removed, asked British Prime Minister Boris Johnson that his remains be brought back to his hometown of Coldwater, Michigan, stating that he was innocent and wrongly executed. Um, And now there is some basis behind this, because like I say, the biggest issue they have is they were never able to formally identify the corpse. Um, They used that tissue, the scar tissue, as evidence for being Cora's, but it's just not enough um, for a lot of people. They just don't think there's enough in it. Um, so therefore he shouldn't have been executed or if they were going to put him away or he should have been acquitted uh, for the most part because they can't prove that the corpse was Cora um, and they can't date it for whenever it was put there. Uh, do you have written down anything? I've found it while looking at images. The um, forensic evidence they've done on the like the skull that they found now. Well, like the, what they found. Well, the thing the is, there was no scar the, tissue. There was no oh, a skull, right? Because I said there was as as no, sorry on the scar tissue. It's forensic evidence from nowadays. Yes, and it's something that they think it's actually a man. Yeah, yeah, it's a man's friend like tissue, as a, therefore it can't be. And they matched it with Cora's grandniece or something. Yeah, there's a couple of um, relatives nowadays that are around. They're like old nieces through the female line, uh, and they've been able yeah. to say that the scar tissue is not is not consistent with them um so there's a lot of people saying that it's not it, it wasn't him it can't have been yeah this forensic detective has said outright that it's not Cora Crippen's body yeah but the thing is uh, I don't know if, whose body is it but the problem is is like this is now on a 113 year old case and we keep saying like when we've done recent interviews about like Jack the Ripper and stuff and it's like there are there's DNA evidence from there that we can test now but it's just so old that it just it's not it's not hundred percent you can't really define it either way i don't know but i think you'll be able to define whether it was a male or female like when they found richard the third under the car park they managed to sort that out that really quickly that is fair to say yeah but yeah so uh a second cousin of Crippin, three times removed um asked that his body be brought back saying look he's unfairly wrongly executed i want his body back in the usa um yeah unfortunately for him uh, I would like to point out that we were in the middle of a pandemic when he asked Boris Johnson for that to happen, and uh, that wasn't exactly high on his priority list because it was probably number four on his list after have a party, have a barbecue, do a COVID <laughs> meeting, then look at Hawley Harvey Crippen's remains. Um, yeah. Now, unsurprisingly, that request was denied, and Crippen's remains are still in UK soil. Now, if you are curious uh, as to... Uh, Hawley Harvey Crippen. <laughs> I always find that name really tricky mm. to start off with. Uh, if you are curious to look at Hawley Harvey Crippen and stand up next to the man and sort of get an idea of what he actually looks like, London's famous Madame Two Swords on Baker Street has a Chamber of Horrors area where you can see waxworks of some of history's worst people. Dr. Crippen is in fact there at Madame Two Swords, among others such as the Cray Twins, John Haig, the Acid Bath Murderer, and Dennis Nilsson. So, if you fancy it, you can go and stand next to him. I've never been to Two Swords. Did you never go? I'd like to go. I worked there for half a day and I've never stepped foot in there. It's really funny. Yeah, their Chamber of Horrors area was actually quite good back in the day. It closed down in 2016 where they put the Sherlock Holmes experience there for a while. Oh, so it's not there anymore? No, it is now. So the Sherlock Holmes experience died a death because, you know, it just didn't work. Um, And uh, now the Chamber of Horrors is back. So, yeah, you can stand next to Hawley Harvey Crippin. Nice. Mm. And that's the story of Crippin. There we go. That was the the case. 
It's a really fascinating story. It was a long one. <laughs> I find it I find it interesting how it's become like a big This can sound awful, but like a, a massive story based on one killing. It was interesting, mm. especially because I suppose there's like intrigue now as people are saying that it wasn't actually Cora's body. So therefore was this man wrongly hanged? Was he ge- did she genuinely go back to America and was living her life there? But this is the thing, we, we actually have no idea. Like, the evidence, as you say now, genetically, like DNA-wise, it, it probably it's saying that, you know, it probably wasn't her. So, where is she? But then why why has he got a rotting corpse in his basement? Like, for, for something to be smelling of flesh, it's got to be fairly new. Well, this is the thing. Like I said, during the court case, it was said that quicklime, when dissolved with um, a liquid, can actually preserve a body for quite a while. And it's, very, it's a very good preserver at that. Um, so, it's so possible that... If it wasn't Crippin, whoever did put that body in the basement uh, did it wrong. And it's just still sitting there, you know, slowly rotting. Slowly. I think based on the evidence, like if this trial happened today, I don't think he'd be found guilty. Probably not. No, I think you might be right. I don't think there's enough to convict him. Now, the one thing that always sort of struck me was they keep going on. This was a torso. Right, and they're like, "Oh, the genitalia was removed." And you're like, "Okay, cool, but surely you can still figure out whether there were boobies on this torso." Yeah, exactly. That that would be a giveaway, whether it was male or female. That should have been the giveaway, right? Yeah. I don't know. I don't know, but well, I suppose we'll never know. I don't think we'll ever know. Uh, but but as it stands, uh, Doctor Hortley Harvey Crippen is the convicted and executed murderer of Cora Crippen, his wife. And uh, well, there you go. Yeah, until someone else can say otherwise, that's how it's going to stay. Let this be a lesson: don't shout at your partner for not giving bathroom directions. <laughs> yeah, or or just you know, be be a better guest and give your friends uh, directions. Which, if you live exactly. anywhere in London, you just say, "Oh, it's just in the corner" because you live in a studio flat. Yeah, yeah, you can see it. Yeah. Um, there you are. There you go. That was the uh, curious case of Dr. Crippin. I love that. I really enjoyed it. Um, Fascinating. People like true crime. That was true crime. It was as true crimey as it gets because it's true. Yeah. What more do you want? <laughs> what, what do you want? Um, right. There you go. Um, thank you very much for listening, everyone. I hope you enjoyed it. It's a wee bit different. Uh, sort of was like trying to get us on this like little journey. Um, I would like to take this moment, as we briefly mentioned earlier in mid-show, to uh, encourage you all to leave a review um arguably i would like to see the most cryptic review you can leave um and i want to be able to see if i can decipher it and i don't mean like um put x's and y's and letters and all this kind of shit in i mean as in go find a thought go find a thesaurus and write out the most find a thesaurus. A thesaurus. <laughs> go find a thesaurus and write out the most eloquent review you can i would really appreciate that and i will post the it best be one <laughs> And also, like, even if you can't be bothered to, like, write something, if you listen to the podcast for a long time, listener, go on Spotify, just hit the five-star thing. It takes two seconds or Apple. 100%. It genuinely, like, it, it really does It actually does, mean a surprisingly. Lot. I was always like, oh, look, if you review, fine, whatever. If you don't, I don't care. Honest to God, the more you review and the more you like it, the higher it, like, every every platform that we're on, like Spotify and whatever, they're like, oh, people clearly like this. Uh, more people should listen to this. And then they put it out there. So... You know, the whole, like, yeah, tell your friends, tell your dog, all this kind of stuff. Like, absolutely do that. But, yeah, no, if you're just listening right now, do it right now. Like, do it. Literally do it now. Do you're it like, now. Well, I'm talking to you, person, who's listening to this I, now. I, Even if you're driving, I don't care. Break the law. Do it. I'm not moving on until you do it right now. 
he means it. Did you do it? <laughs> <laughs> I hope so. I hope so. If you didn't, we know, and we're fucking coming for you. Yeah, John. <laughs> he knows. Yeah. John knows what he's done. <laughs> anyway. Thank- John just shut himself. John just, he just went, oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, I've got loads of fucking ideas for what I want to do next, but um, uh, I, I want to get it out of the way now. Uh, as it stands, it is Sunday the 18th. This episode is going to be out on Monday the 19th. So this would be, um, I'm sure you enjoyed this on your commute and your commute home because it was so fucking long. I do apologize. Um, <laughs> we likely have, I think, one more episode coming out. It's James and I have got a big filming day coming up real soon uh, to announce oh, yeah. um, a new thing that we're doing that's happening on the 3rd of July. We're filming that. Uh, and then I've got, and me and my partner have got to put some bits together. So we may get one, maybe more, two more episodes before our four-year anniversary, uh, which we will be doing our four-year special episode, which if you don't already know by now, we've hinted at it a lot. We are talking about Jack the Ripper. Um, yeah. It's something that we Literally, we mentioned true crime. You can't get more truer crime than Jack the Ripper. He is the yeah. king of true crime. He certainly is. Or they're the king because we don't know who they were. Um, no. <laughs> Ooh. Ooh. Um, but yes, it's something we've wanted to do ever since the first ever episode. I think we said it in like few episodes in that we'd love to do a Jack the Ripper episode. Uh, and we yeah. finally got. Uh, a ripperologist, an expert in the field. We've done it properly. We actually like an have. actual podcast. Yes, we we rented a studio. Uh, we hired um, a, a filmer, i.e., my partner. Um, like we we've done it all legit. We've done it legit. We've got we've gone the whole hog. We've got. I mean, we've interviewed him. So that will be going out on the four year episode uh, on the like twenty third of July. Twenty third of July is what you said, yeah. Yeah, so that began at then. I don't know where you got that day from. I found that day out on the trailer as well. Oh, do you know why it was? It's because uh, it's the day that you and I first ever recorded at uh, that place in like Wandsworth with Say What Media. Oh, is it? That's the oh, day. Oh, nice. Okay. Yeah. That's 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 a good way to do it, then, isn't it? Oh yeah. So anyway, look forward nice. to that, everyone. Uh, that's coming. Just so you know where we're at, because well, you know, obviously I know we we are very busy people so we are trying to, we do try to get episodes out as quickly as possible um but obviously i'm very aware that you know it, we we can be delayed by like a week or two weeks so i just want to give you like a heads up of where we're at i'm expecting two episodes out before the 23rd of july which is when the uh ripper a special episode will be coming out and like i say we've got nice. um a little project that we're working on right now so yeah there you go that's where we're at Woo. I like it. And if you haven't seen the trailer for the Jack the Ripper episode, episode yet, go and hit us up on socials. I think it's on Instagram and Facebook. Go and drop it a like. Oh, yeah, 100%. Yeah, share that trailer. Have a little watch because uh, my partner filmed us doing this and it was really, really cool and it's come out really, really well. So very It excited. came out better than I expected, I won't lie. I think during the day I got so swept up with like being genuinely interested in what we were talking about, I forgot that it was being filmed and recorded and stuff yeah so yeah so i'm looking forward to seeing it as well <laughs> i'm like i'm with you guys yeah check it out check it out uh, all right guys thank you very much for listening uh, and we will see you on the next one Ta-ra.
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.